Good afternoon and welcome to Mediascope, the programme for and about the public relations, event management and journalism industries. I'm Ellen Gunning from the Irish Academy of Public Relations and you're very welcome to the programme. Now we're broadcasting from the studios of 103.2 Dublin City FM right here in the heart of the Docklands in Dublin and we're live streaming worldwide on dublincityfm.ie. On this week's show, I'm chatting with Laura Farrell, the Chief Executive of the Retirement Council of Ireland. Thanks for taking my call, Laura. Thanks, Ellen, for having me. Oh, sure, it's a pleasure. Let me start by trying to figure out who you are. I don't mean you personally. I mean the Retirement Council. Is it a private company? Is it a state body? No, um, neither. It's actually a registered charity, a not-for-profit organisation, which is wholly independent from all financial institutions and from the government and we won with the voluntary board. So we've been around for almost 50 years, um, existing as a charity and working in the sector, providing pre-retirement planning and training to people so that they can make a positive transition into their retired life. And 50 years ago, was there actually, I wouldn't have thought there was a need. It's, it's very visionary. I wouldn't have thought there was a need for retirement planning 50 years back. You know, you're so right. I think it was really just a bunch of very enlightened civil servants realised that retirement is not just a numbers game. It's not about the package at the end of the day. There's so much more to it. And life goes on past work. And what does that look like? And, you know, at this stage, you're looking at 30, 40 years. So it very much requires planning and thought, you know. And what about you said that you have a voluntary board? Is it made up of representative bodies or is it open to anybody to join? How does it work? The board itself is a mix of different skill sets, um, a lot from ex-industry, um, but it, it, it was a lot of like, academics as well, um, HR specialists, people with deep commercial knowledge. So I'm very lucky to be supported by a board that is well connected into industry, has a deep understanding of our purpose and our impact on people, and is very driven to make the service as available to as many people as it possibly can be. It's obviously opened up a lot over the years then because you said, if I picked you up the right way, that when it was actually first formed, it was formed by former civil servants or existing civil servants. That's right, yeah. But now we we work for everyone. Um, As a charity, I suppose one of our drivers is to ensure that anybody who needs our service gets our service. And so we we work with large corporates, we work with individuals, we work with executives, we work with people who, you know, find us online. They might be freelance, um, self-employed, working with small consultancy firms, organisations perhaps that don't think to provide a service like this to their employees, but nonetheless, their employees could very much benefit from it. And when you say you're a charity, are your services free to people? No, um, we have a small fee and our fee income is how we keep the charity uh, in business. And um, so it's on a per person basis uh, for the open enrollment courses and then for in-company it's typically a a fixed fee for X number of days. So you're actually open to anyone to join you and take a course with you? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Um, I know that years ago, 50 years back, um, the reason I thought it was so visionary was because probably at that stage, everybody retired at 65. So you had a very fixed um, expectancy in terms of a job. So people were actually in probably the same job for in a lot of cases all the way through to 65. And there was a, an understanding both on their part and on the part of the company that they would be finishing at 65. I presume that people are retiring at a much younger age nowadays. It's actually quite a mixed bag. I mean, what we're seeing 
is people opting where they can perhaps to leave earlier, particularly in COVID. That seems to be a decision that a certain cohort are, are making now. Um, but we also see what is called, I suppose, the encore career, where people past 65 are more than capable of continuing in work, perhaps not in the formal setting of the corporate in which they have previously worked for the past 20 or 30 years, but looking to things like the you know, the charity sector volunteering work, um, organisations that have a social impact. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's very much a mix. It's not everybody's walking out the door at 65 anymore, you know. But that's an interesting point, actually, that you raised about people being capable of continuing work. I remember years ago um, talking to a colleague who had, I think she had joined me to work with my business when she was around 60. And at the time, I couldn't keep her beyond 65. She was happy to stay on longer. and I was perfectly happy that she would continue as well. But we couldn't because there was something about, I think the law actually allowed it, but we couldn't get insurance for her. Is it actually possible for people to stay on beyond the required retirement age now or is it still very difficult for them to do so and they need to effectively move on? Companies need to let them retire. It's really a company by company basis, um, Alan, to to be honest. And I think as well, what a lot of people are looking at now is perhaps the end of, say, the corporate career at 65, but the beginning of a different type of working life thereafter. And, you know, increasingly the language and the narrative around it is changing. We very much used to speak about the third act and um, the third age in terms of retirement. But now the language has changed to the multi-stage life. So we're seeing people taking up new careers, starting their own businesses more and more. So, you know, it's a mix. And from your point of view, then, for somebody who's coming in at, we look at the 65s first and then come back to the others if we can. So somebody who comes into you at 65 and says, um, effectively I'm happy to continue to work in some capacity and I, I get what you're saying that they probably have 30-40 years and a, a brilliant working brain cell that really is of benefit to um, somebody else. How do you how do you go about advising them? It's a huge change from having worked for somebody where you um, I don't mean this in a negative way but where you, you rock in every week and somebody else looks after what work you do and the fact that you get paid at the end of each month to suddenly saying maybe you should form your own business where you find your own income um, or you can now volunteer but that means controlling your time and how you manage your time. Talk to me a little bit about the issues that they encounter. Yeah, <clears throat> I suppose for us um, what we've learned over the years is that what is necessary to ensure a person makes a positive transition to retirement is that we take a really holistic look at their situation. And it's beyond just the financial aspects of retirement. We're not selling anything to the participants on our programs as a charity. We're there to make sure they put together a plan for their retired life, whatever that might be, whether they're working on, whether they're starting a business, whether they're just devoting more time to their own personal interests. Of course, we look at the financial aspects and the legal aspects, investment tax, tax, pensions, social welfare, legal matters, all the rest of us. But we equally look at retirement as a major transition point in life. So you need to look at your routine, your relationships, your identity changes. We address the kind of psychological impact of retirement, the issues around well-being, staying fit and healthy, what your nutrition needs to look like, how you're going to find purpose in this next phase in your life. Gosh, there's an awful lot in that. Uh, talk to me about changing your routine, first of all, because um, I know that people 
become creatures of habit and we all do it. I mean, the reason the weekends are the weekends and that we know it's the weekend is because we haven't been in work and our routine has changed and we've done things that we wouldn't do on Monday to Friday. Is it a big, I would imagine I'd find a huge change if I woke up in the morning and I didn't have to be somewhere at a particular time and make a particular call. I'm a creature of routine in that sense that there's always something that I have to be doing. If you don't have to get up, is there a danger that you then start to sleep in and kill time and uh, underachieve for those remaining 30 or 40 years or whatever? Yeah, I mean, that is a real danger and that's partly why we do what we do. Um, We prefer to talk to people, believe it or not, from 40 onwards. Typically people in our programme are around 55. Oh, that's very early, from 40 on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we do a mid-career programme I ought to do, just a pre-retirement programme so that it'd be three to five years before the retirement. The point and purpose being you know, you spent, you spent your kind of educational life planning for your work life. And your retired life is going to be almost as long, if not as long, as your work life. So it, too, deserves some planning and design. And I think the most important thing is that plan, your own retirement plan and designing it. Not to end up retired on a Monday and not getting out of bed because there's nothing to do because you have a plan for it, you know. The, the work life is a huge part of your routine. So you have to establish an alternative routine outside of that when it's gone. And we always say that, you know, you should consider your overall well-being. What's going to give you a sense of purpose? What's going to get you out of bed in the morning? What's going to be fulfilling for you? And as I said, that might be the encore career. It might be volunteering. It could be revisiting an interest that you had when you were younger or taking up a new one. We always say it's incredibly important to include exercise in your plan because, you know, staying fit and healthy is going to be a big part of a successful and happy retirement. Um, another really big, important thing is to remain social. And that can be difficult. We don't realise just how much of our social interaction comes from our work environment. But, you know, I think it's easier now than ever to get out there and make new connections. You know, you can find a hiking club online, recycling group, art classes, whatever your your interest is will be a way to reconnect you with other people who have shared interests. I think as well, it's very important to be flexible about the plan, not to expect it to be perfect from day one. This is a new phase in your life which you're designing and it's an exciting time and allow yourself, I suppose, to experiment. That's really important. You also mentioned identity earlier and the fact that I'm thinking as I'm listening to you that a huge part of your identity is also intertwined with your working life um, because if, to a huge extent we are what we do. We talk about it, we socialise within that circle. So is there a danger that you you don't know who you are after a while? Um, there's a danger that you don't know who you are immediately. Uh, one of the exercises, I've been through the program myself a few times, one of the interesting exercises is the program leader, you know, says, well, how do you identify yourself? And often people say, well, I'm a, an engineer or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And the question he puts to the participants is, write me a list of 10 other things that you are. And I sat there and I struggled with it. I really, really did. And that kind of made me realize, okay, we have an issue here. We do really probably over-identify with our work. And when it's gone, it's gone. Who are you? What are you about? What matters to you? What is your purpose? So those are the things that you have to spend some time in this program thinking through. We don't hand you a plan. We hand you the tools to create a plan for yourself. 
and you're the person who identifies what matters to you, what your values are, what purpose looks like beyond work. So you actually help people to create their own plan effectively? Basically, yeah. You walk out of the programme after two days with the tools necessary to put your own plan together. And one of the unique things about the council is that we offer lifelong support. So if you come out of the programme and you have a question around something that you learned during the programme, um, we're there. You email us, you phone us, and, and we're happy to engage around us, you know. Janie Mack, I'll tell you, lifelong support. I mean, you're looking at 30, 40 years now. You could be looking at 60 or 70 years in a couple of years' time. <laughs> Let me take a very quick commercial break, and I'll come back to you right after this. You're listening to The Mediascope Show with Ellen Gunning on 103.2. Dublin City FM. Welcome back. I'm chatting with Laura Farrell, the CEO of the Retirement Council of Ireland. Do you know what I wanted to ask you, and you mentioned it earlier as well, Laura? Relationships. The number of people who told me that they had happily, they had a great relationship because one of the partners went out to work and the other either worked from home or had an entirely, one had the home as a zone and one had a different zone. And suddenly you've got two people in the same space, sharing the same space and that it causes an awful lot of friction, apparently. Yeah, I can do. And I suppose I would never say that COVID lockdown is a dry run for retirement but it's given us a sense of being on <laughs> locked down in your own home with you know your your loved ones but yeah like if you have one person in the household who's out to work every day a third of their life is spent in a different working environment and if the partner is at home the arrival of a retired person into that space can feel like an intrusion so people really have to work with each other um to figure out how to best collaborate and cooperate in this new working or new living, if you like, um, regime. And, you know, I've heard stories myself just listening to participants in the program where um, the partner comes home at retirement and says, right, let's go for a walk or whatever it might be that they've decided is their routine. And they're quickly told by their spouse or partner, well, actually, today's Tuesday and this is my golf day. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't go walking at 10.30 (laughs) on a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So, yeah, things change up. And I suppose in many respects, we shouldn't be intimidated by that change. It's it's just the reality of this new, you know, work living um, arrangement. And you have to flow into it. You have to find ways to work around each other. You have to find your own interests. So, you know, what's your golf on Tuesday? Um, I suppose we're looking at it from a very positive point of view, but there must be people who really have psychological issues to deal with, particularly, I'm thinking, if the retirement, whatever about knowing that your retirement is coming, even if you're not keen on the idea, you know from a distance out that you will be retiring. But people who have retirement thrust upon them, for the want of a better description, there must be, you must see a lot of psychological issues around I wasn't ready for this. This wasn't part of my plan at this age in my life. Uh, unfortunately, the thing is, we don't see it because typically the, typically the person with those issues will not self-select to go on the programme, you know. Um, oh, that's interesting. So they won't yeah. actually realise that they have a need to talk to somebody about their uh, possibly forced retirement. Yeah, um, typically speaking, the people we we have on the program are people who have self-selected, um, you know, as individuals to attend because they realize it's going to benefit them or their HR department has put it to them as an option. You know, nobody has to go on this program mm-hmm. and they realize that obviously it, it can help them make a positive transition. 
Um, sometimes you will have participants who you know have been <laughs> encouraged to go on the programme okay. and may not feel ready. And, and, and this is often back to the whole thing of identity. Um, and if you are you know, incredibly wrapped up in work as your identity, and it can be incredibly hard to let go. And one of the things that we've done over the last 18 months is include a new mod- module that is delivered by a psychologist specifically for that reason, because we realize that the, the impact psychologically is, is so huge. We wanted a professional in the room, should there be any issues for any individuals or participants that need to be dealt with offside, you know. And what about, I'm conscious that all of the talk lately about uh, mental health issues um, in the news recently has been around the fact that um, partners or family members aren't actually involved. And I'm not for a minute suggesting that um, retirement is is on that level. But is it something that you involve partners in? Is it something that um, people attend with their workmates? How does it actually work in terms of the training? Well, if you enrol in an open programme through our website, you'll be in a, in a room with, say, 20, 25 people from all walks of life. Um, if you do it through a company, it will typically be you and your colleagues. Um, if you do it on an executive one-to-one basis, it's just yourself. But on each of those three options, you can bring a spouse or partner along. Because we're very conscious when a person retires, it impacts all the people around them, you know, particularly their close relationships. So the spouse or partner is very welcome in the room on our programmes for that very reason. And do you find many attend? Yeah, yeah. And it, um, it brings an interesting dynamic, you know. I'd say it changes the dynamic completely, actually. Mm. It'd be fascinating to be a fly on a wall for that one. Now, come back and tell me about people who retire much younger then, because we've been sort of concentrating on people who, I suppose, had an expectation that they would retire at 65. So even if there's a whole world of new opportunities opening up to them, that's exactly how they would see it as new opportunities and what do I do now? What about the people who retire? And I don't know, there seem to be a lot of people who retire or take redundancy options at a much younger age. I'm thinking of one person I know I think has taken redundancy three times and he'd be about 62 or something. Um, He's become like a serial make me redundant character. Uh, But it it doesn't bother him in the least. And each time he bounces back and says, what do I do next? Is there a a totally different course that's needed for somebody who's much younger, who expects to be possibly retired a couple of times over the, the period of their lifetime? Yeah. Um, our mid-retire, our mid-career program, uh, kind of comes in two forms. One is for those who are staying in in their uh, uh, job and just want to think long term, plan ahead, you know, uh, toward their retirement, which might be fifteen, twenty years away. But they recognise that now is really a good time to start planning, not right up against it. But we also run a separate program um, for people who are facing redundancy. Um, and it's specifically about helping them deal with the redundancy, with the the issues that fall out of it, uh, both financial and psychological, but also looking at their options in terms of working on uh, what can they do, what skills do they have, how can they repackage them. Um, so that's a specific program for, for those who, who are facing into a redundancy situation. 
And you mentioned earlier the the option that COVID has kind of presented people with, which I think we've all been conscious of, of people sort of saying in conversation, you know, I'm not going to continue doing this job anymore. I'm just not getting out of bed and chasing into town or whatever. Um, I don't like working for the company. I don't need as much money as I used to need. Um, have you seen, because I'm, I'm conscious of your retirement rather than lifestyle change. So have you seen many of those people at all? It's hard for us to say at the moment statistically and um, we are actually running um, some research to, just to, to figure that exactly out. But what we do know from research from the UK is that there is definitely um, a, you know, a cohort of people who feel that COVID is going to delay retirement for them because of the financial pressure it is to put them under. And then another group who's, who've looked at COVID and said, I'm, I'm done now. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the package. I'm going to retire, whatever it might be. So yeah, there is definitely people going earlier um, but as I said, we're we're in the middle of doing some research on that, so hopefully we'll have some interesting stats in the near future. And actually, that's a fair point too. That um, we assume that when you said people for whom um, COVID will delay their retirement or apply more financial pressure, there's a kind of assumption in your head that if somebody is in their mid fifties onwards, that they actually aren't under any financial pressure. You assume that they're kind of the equivalent of their children are reared, their mortgage is paid, they're in a comfortable position, but that's not always the case for a lot of people. Very much so. For many people, it can be quite a stressful time, you know, with this children, there may be college fees, still may be a mortgage, there may be elderly parents and a demanding job. So yeah, you know, it's, it's sometimes for some people, it's, it's definitely not the easiest phase. What's the biggest mistake that people make looking at retirement, whether it's the mid-career people or the people who come to you with maybe six months or a 12 month runway? What's the biggest mistake they make? <laughs> well, this is a really interesting question. Um, it's not so much a mistake, it's a misconception. What we find pretty much across the board is when people come in to the program, their primary concern is their finances. And when people come out of the program, they're typically in a more positive frame of mind about their finances, and they realize the most important thing is time. How do they use their time? How do they spend it meaningfully? How do they find purpose? So they realize that time is the big resource they have in their hands. And and what will they do with it? That's very interesting. So they're assuming that they've been used to having X income every month or whatever, and that's their biggest pressure coming in, that I'm going to lose that income, it's going to be reduced um, on my pension or whatever. Um, but actually, having talked it through, they realise that their biggest challenge is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what do you find they mostly do then? I'm picking your brains to death, but what do they, is, there a, is there a pattern for what do they mostly spend their time on? Do they mostly go into voluntary work? Do they take a few hours consultancy? Do they develop new hobbies? What's, what's the trend? What do most people actually do? Well, actually, that's really interesting. And that's probably something that we should do a bit of research around. Um, like really, only I would only know anecdotally from the participants that I've spoken to, but it is a big, it is it, you know, it's a huge mix. There's so many options, and I think that's one of the most important things. There can be a slight tendency psychologically to say, getting older, there are less options <sighs> open to me. You have to come into this with a very open mind um, about the possibilities in front of you. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be golf. It doesn't have to be art classes. There are mm. so many things you can do, you know. And just not to narrow your thinking, I think, is probably the most important thing. 
Actually, yeah, right. that would be it's the attitude you come into with. But yeah, I'd yeah. love to know what the, the trend mostly is. And tell me if there's a difference between men and women then facing retirement. Um, there can be a very big difference in terms of financial preparedness and uh, financial well-being, shall we say, um, which is one of the biggest differences we see between the two genders. What we also have noticed, or in terms of research, would suggest that women can often be better prepared socially um, to deal with the changes that come about through walking away from a you know a, a nine to five uh, working mm-hmm. job. So, whereas men can find themselves, and this is a generalisation, but there is some research behind this, um, their identity more closely tied to their work. And so that can be a bigger difficulty for them. So it's two very different issues, you know. And financial well-being, I presume men are better prepared than women. Um, statistics would suggest that that is the case, yeah. I presume that's because women have taken time out of the workforce and you may not, it will change as time goes on, but yeah. historically the women you were seeing wouldn't have had um, as much financial income behind them or as much steady financial income behind them or as many whatever it is you need um, f- for a good pension or whatever. So they'd be in a weaker position coming in, whereas men would traditionally have always been the, the breadwinners. Yeah, the, the kind of broken tenure through, you know, raising children, etc., often does result in, in that very difference. So, yeah, we do see that a lot. So give me your your top tips. If somebody comes into you mid-career, I can't believe people come into you mid-career, I have to tell you. Um, it's like having your first, uh, you know, breakdown at sort of 20 and you go, really? You're having a social breakdown at 20 years of age? People don't have that till they're 40. But mid-career or people looking at retirement and saying, look, the difference between 50 years ago and now is 50 years ago, if you were 65, you were an old person. Um, you you were slowing down. You were looking at the slippers and the pipe or whatever. Um, nowadays at 65, 65 is what? The new 45 or something. The, you, you know, you're much fitter. You're much more able. You have a much um, better lifestyle and space of life ahead of you. So five top tips for people contemplating retirement. Okay. So obviously the first one is go on the retirement planning Council of Ireland course. Surprise that, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> do a course. Whether you do or you don't, the most important thing is develop your plan rather than simply retire and wait for it to happen. I'd say it's the first thing. Um, and in that, establishing a routine to replace your work routine is the second. Okay. Um, equally important, exercise, physical well-being, crucial that you pay attention to that in this phase of your life. So those, I suppose, would be the, the top three um, basic, you know, if you like, hygiene factors as far as we're concerned. I think then that's you get into the, the question around your well-being, your sense of purpose and fulfillment. What does that look like? Is it volunteering? Is it the encore career? Is it more time for your social activities? More time for your interests, whatever they may have been or could be? I think yeah, so my takeaway from today is that the, the key to it all is planning. Don't let it happen yeah. by accident. Absolutely. Actually plan for your retirement. Laura Farrell, thank you for joining me today. I really enjoyed that chat. Thank you.
Thanks, Ellen. I really appreciate it. Well, now, that's all I have for you for this week. That time absolutely flew. If you have information you'd like to share with listeners or you have a good story to tell, send me an email to mediascope at dublincityfm.ie. And don't forget, you can hear podcasts of this and previous Mediascope programmes on www.irishacademy.ie. I'm Ellen Gunning. Sound this week was by Fergal Daly. My thanks to Laura Farrell and thanks to you for being with me today. I look forward to the pleasure of your company at the same time next week. So until then, goodbye.